Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Ken Sanginario on the line. Ken, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Michael. How are you doing? I am awesome. Really looking forward to this conversation today because you do some amazing work and have been doing it for quite a bit of time. So why don't you Thank share you. a little bit with the audience on what you do and the work you do? Sure. Well, I spent, um, after a career in the corporate world, I spent 18 years uh, turning around, underperforming and distressed companies all around the U.S. And, and outside the U.S. as well. And through that process, was able to work with a lot of great people, very smart, well-educated, highly experienced people who were mentors and teachers and so forth, and was able to develop a proprietary process that is software-based for creating value in companies, not only distressed companies, but companies that are relatively healthy, that want to be healthier and a lot more valuable. And so over the last 11 years now, we've perfected that software and a proprietary process. And we've, we, now, uh, we now offer that service to other advisors around the country that, uh, that, that offer our service to their clients as well as offering the service directly to private companies. So that's what, that's what I'm dedicated to. Our, our whole mission is to create value in every interaction we have with clients, with colleagues, with communities, and so forth. So, And your work has a huge ripple effect on communities, you know, businesses, the lives of people that work in those organizations. And you know, I, I celebrate you know, the work that you do. And yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on a pandemic, but I'm anticipating mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, uh, your work has, uh, not that it wasn't important before, it's certainly important now as organizations uh, attempt to figure out, okay, how do we work? You know, what, what do we do? And, or if they're businesses that are, you know, looking for an exit strategy down the road, okay, what do we need to do now in order to make sure that we do the, the necessary things to make sure that our organization is going to be valued and valuable down the road? So I'd love to hear your insights on, you know, what you've experienced at least over the last couple of years. Sure. You know, great question. Um, it's, it's very interesting what this pandemic has done to the private uh, corporate markets around the US at least. Um, I find that uh, company, it's, it's almost a bifurcation in the direction that companies have, have gone as a result of the pandemic. Some companies have absolutely taken off because their products or services became even in more demand because of the pandemic than they previously were. Other companies have seen their products and services nosedive because nobody has a need or it's just not a priority right now during the pandemic. Not many companies that I've seen over the last couple of years have been in any kind of steady state. Everybody is reacting to the pressures of the pandemic and they've gone in one of two directions. But no matter which of those directions they've, they've taken, um, they, they're presented with challenges that they were not previously facing. So for companies that really took off during the pandemic, 
Now they're facing growth challenges, the likes of which they may have never experienced before. And they're struggling in a lot of cases with their supply chains, with their customer relationships, with their internal infrastructures and so forth. They're struggling to figure out how to support that growth, which in many cases is great growth and it's creating value and so forth if they can execute it properly. Um, on, on the other extreme, companies that have taken a nosedive are also facing challenges, operational challenges, execution, financial challenges in particular, again, the likes of which they may have never experienced before, and they don't have the expertise in-house to understand how to right-size their companies and so forth and maybe reposition and, and, um, and get into a better place through the pandemic and coming out of, of, of the pandemic. It makes their strategic planning and self-awareness of their company's uh, current state much, much more important. And so that's what we've seen over the last couple of years. It's, it's one direction or the other, but equally as challenging either way. I would guess that in both situations, one may be more so than the other, this great resignation that we hear about and read in the Wall Street Journal and other places and, and you know it's hitting every industry. I'm guessing that's you know playing a big part as well. You know, not only for the growth side of things where the people aren't and I'm a I'm, this I'm gonna frame it. And I work for startup organizations. What, people that got you to where you are may not necessarily get you to where you're going next. Mm-hmm. And it's no insult towards those people it's just you, know, you you hit a plateau and sometimes in their career desires and what they want to do in life and all of that may not be in alignment with the bigger company you know i hear that a lot with smaller companies that grew it's like i miss the days when we were small it's like you, know, right. you wouldn't have all the things you have available to you now if you would have stayed in that position and maybe possibly you would have gone away because you wouldn't be able to offer to the market what people want now. So I, I'd love to hear your insights. I'm, I'm sure that's a, a pretty decent component of, of both situations the, with the growth and also the, the organizations that are really struggling. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on point with that uh, perspective. Uh, the people element of companies is always one of the most critical, if not the most critical element. And in this pandemic, the, as you call it, the great resignation has presented huge challenges to companies, especially the companies that have taken off as a result of the pandemic, because in many cases, they just, it doesn't matter how hard they look or where they look or how much they're willing to pay, they just cannot find a qualified, a qualified workforce at any level. Um, sometimes we see them, they just can't find hourly help to be on the shop floor or in the packaging room or in customer service. They just can't find the lower kind of hourly levels of of workforce to support their growth. And they also cannot find the experienced people at the higher levels who know how to face the kinds of growth challenges that they are now facing to build the infrastructure of the company to be able to support that growth, to negotiate with their supply chains and with their you know, new customer development and all of those challenges. And on the other hand, companies that, are, that, that took a downturn during, during the pandemic, um, the people challenge with them is equally as important, if not even more challenging, because they 
if they make a wrong move um, and make a wrong decision, it could be the end of the company. So with the growth companies, if they make a wrong choice, well, maybe they don't grow as fast or maybe they lose some customers, but they're not, they're not at as much risk of actually going out of business. But on the downturn companies, they make a wrong move. It could spell the end of the company. So they have to be really careful about having the right resources on staff or even if it's outsourced to be able to have the right resources available to them to guide them through the challenges of downsizing or right-sizing the company and repositioning it in the marketplace. So you're absolutely right. The people component is just so critical. And companies mostly don't know how to manage their way through those challenges. I see a lot of organizations basically just freeze, which if you don't do anything, that's basically the equivalent in many situations of doing the wrong thing. Exactly. So it's like sometimes, at least if you're moving and there's motion, if you make a wrong turn, you're still flowing enough where you can you know, maybe do a U-turn or at least mm-hmm. shift off to a side road and then get back on the right path. But if you just say, well, we're just going to ride this out, well... You know your yeah. customers will recognize that because they they sense they smell danger, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they'll go, okay, the response time isn't good, or the mistakes are increasing, or the quality of what we're getting from this company just isn't the same anymore. What happened? And, and a lot of things, you know, supply chain issues, staffing challenges, you know, finding people, and it, it it's one of those things where you know I talk to so many different people about this. It's like everybody's hoping that they're going to find this reservoir where all the talent is just hanging out, you know, like we're, we're, and and we're waiting. You know, it's like they're all they're all at this this coffee shop that is you know COVID free and they don't have to wear a mask and they're living their best life and they're like, okay, what once you guys get all that sorted out, then we're going to come back. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. I don't think it's that's fantasy land. Exactly. It's a, yeah, exactly. They, they have one in Anaheim and in just outside of yeah. Orlando. Um, but yeah, not, they're not a sponsor of the show. So I don't mention their name. I'm, I'm a yeah. consumer of their products. Don't worry about that, but uh, they haven't sponsored it. So, but again, it's one of those things where I, I look at it and I think, okay, you know, why, you know, what, and that's a big question. It's like, why is there a shortage and there's so many layers to that. You know, yeah. it's not the the blanket statement. Well, everyone's just staying home on stimulus checks. Well, those things were long gone. You know, right. there nobody was living off of those things. So it's like, okay, what is it? Was it the culture? Was it they stayed home and they realized, okay, I want to do something a little less stressful or a little closer to home, or maybe people moved. You know, I, I interviewed somebody. You know, not too long ago, that is in the mortgage industry, and that's an industry that has been drowning in work hours because mm-hmm. so many people were moving during this pandemic. Uh, because either a they realized, hey, I get to work from home, quote unquote, forever. Let's see if forever actually happens. I'm, I, I always mm-hmm. find it really interesting when organizations have this: we're going to work forever. Like I we're we're six months into this. Like that's pretty bold. I I celebrate your boldness on that, but you know, maybe put an asterisk by that because things may change. Your consumers, your customers may want something different. But everyone was moving. So people, you know, there's been a combination of people saying, okay, you know, I'm just gonna take a less paying job because I want to do something different, or they want to 
live in a remote area. They've got good Wi-Fi connections, so they're they're good on that. And it's just it's a mix of things. I think as as humans, we we and just like with this pandemic, we want this singular, quick, instant answer to the problem. Mm-hmm. And right. we we've got human beings involved. There's nothing simple about us. That's Anybody. Right. That, Anybody that paid half attention in science class recognized that. It's like, we're dynamic. How this works with all of that, beyond me, that's why I went into accounting. Like, no, I'll go with that type of science, the the actual biological side of things. I always joke, I think the only reason I passed science class was Mr. Burrell did not want to see me for another year. (laughs) So thank you again, Mr. Burrell, if you're still alive. I appreciate that. That helped me out a lot. Uh, But but again, it, it, it boils down to... It's not a quick and simple answer, and that's why for those organizations, especially from the leadership standpoint, I'm sure you see this, where organizations really need those leaders that don't have all the answers, but have the tools to be able to navigate to figure out how to get the right answers. Absolutely. And you made a point, a very pertinent point um, a few minutes ago about companies being paralyzed to make decisions. And you're right, that that's the absolute worst thing that companies can do. I, I learned from a, a great mentor of mine very early in my turnaround career to make a lot of decisions. If you're running a company or if you're turning around a company or if you're man in, in, in any executive position in a company, uh, you've got to make a lot of decisions. And don't be afraid to make decisions because the more you make, the better you become at making decisions. And most decisions, you're right, can be reversed. You can change course. Um, not all, but most uh, can be can be changed if they look like they're not going to work out. But to sit idle and not make any decisions is just death because the world is moving too fast. And the world, the, the, the business world will just blow right by you if you're sitting idle and just thinking that, well, we'll hunker down and, and wait for this to pass. Or like a lot of companies that we see, they think the, the, the answer is right around the corner. It's this contract that we're waiting for the customer to sign, or it's this new prospect or this new product or the, this new opportunity that we have that's just around the corner. And it, it always seems to be just around the corner. And they just wait and wait and wait, and the corner never comes. It's like the never-ending straightaway to get to the corner, but they never actually get to the corner. And, um, and that's, a, that's a dangerous path for companies to take. So we, we have a unique process whereby we help companies. And, well, to back up another step, um, I think – most business owners, one of the reasons that they become paralyzed to make decisions is because they get so much conflicting advice from the advisory world because they, they get contacted by advisors, the vast majority of whom are niche experts in one narrow but very deep field of expertise. And they're always advising the companies that the companies need to work on whatever their field of expertise is right now as their highest priority. Well, business owners might hear that from a dozen different advisors in a different, with a dozen different fields of expertise, all telling the owner that that area is the most important right now for the company. And they don't know who to believe because it's all conflicting. And so they don't believe anybody and they don't make any decisions. And so um, what, 
the, what, what we've been able to develop as a, as a little different approach, well, very different approach actually, is not to be a subject matter expert on one particular area, but rather to help the company understand in a more holistic manner where their relative strengths and weaknesses are, where their constraints are, where they need to maybe pivot the company to be better positioned through the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. So it's more of a, let's shine a light on the areas of the company that might be in your blind spots as a management team or as an owner and push you out of your comfort zone and, and make sure that you're allocating resources, especially today and because of the pandemic, when resources are so constrained and so um, important to allocate properly, we can help them allocate the resources in the right areas, in the right sequence, at the right levels of intensity and so forth to really move the needle for the company rather than trying to sell the company on a particular uh, folk, you know, expert area of expertise or focus. So that's a big difference, but it helps the business owners to be able to unstuck, unst get unstuck and make a lot more decisions. And that's the difference, I think. Yeah, I love that format because, you know, I'm not going to mention any big consulting firms, but each of them have their own reputation of what they do. There's one, and you even see it with internet memes. It's like, okay, we have this issue, we want to do this and all that, and they'll list two or three of the you know, large consulting firms, mm -hmm. and each of them will have what they usually pitch. And one of them is, you know, basically fire half the staff. And, you know, that that's their go-to. I'm not going to mention yeah. their name. My brother yeah. actually did some consulting with them many, many years ago. So I, I, I would send them that. He says, you do not know how true that is. Oh, yeah. At, uh, but, but not mentioning any names unless they want to sponsor my show. But I don't think they <laughs> want me to sponsor me for doing that. But ultimately, <laughs> but I, I love the way that you approach that because when when you go into an organization, you're in you're you want to help this organization see the things that they're not seeing because it's too close to them, or they're right. in that frozen state we talked about before. When you're able to look at everything, you'll be able to see again because of previous experience, the skills that you have on your team and everything else, where you can start connecting some dots and say, okay, if you do this it might impact this other area too, because every organization, whether they like it or admit to it or not, is really connected. There's a lot of wires in there. Uh, I used to work in IT a long time ago, and it's like it's like that mm -hmm. cabinet. Some are nice and tidy. Most of them look like spaghetti. Uh, and peeling those layers out to figure out, okay, if we do this, then this impacts this. And I had a conversation this morning with an organization that I help out, and we were talking about workflow and mm. there's been some changes in and some things that they've done in the organization some staffing changes and, and whatnot and we're like well let's take this opportunity to look and see how things were because maybe we can find some efficiencies to make sure that the right people are doing the right thing at the right time and make sure they have all the tools that they need to do in order to be successful they'll find some more efficiencies they'll get more done there's really no cost additions is actually cost savings, which my old accounting days, it's like, yeah, everybody focuses on how can we generate more revenue? It's like, oh, look for some cost savings. Guess what? You'll find revenue. 
and there's efficiencies you can find down in the expense side of the income statement. And right. every time that I've ever helped organizations do that, it's like, wow, you just found us a quarter million dollars. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Here's my invoice. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like hmm, maybe I should charge more, but no, it's like, I, it, it's, that's, I love doing that type of stuff because that's where you can find stuff, you know, finding new sales. Yeah. There's methods to do that and all of that, but if you can find some efficiencies and not necessarily have to cut staff, which you can do that too, but you know, ideally finding the right bells and whistles that make sense, it, mm-hmm. it makes things so much easier for them. And then it makes it easier and it reduces a lot of the strain that everybody's feeling. And then of course that can help with retention as well. Uh, and I know that's a big problem as well right now. Yeah. Well, you're right. Um, and what we find is that most companies that are focused on driving top line um, and even companies that a lot of companies focus, they, they focus both on top line and cost cutting say um, they're not focused on cost efficiencies, as you describe it, they're focused on cost cutting because they're trying to drive a higher profit or EBITDA. Um, but in many cases, I would say in most cases that we that we see, by treating top line and profitability as direct drivers of creating value in the company, they actually end up eroding value. And what we've learned over the years is that top line growth and profitability growth and ultimately the creation of value, those are results of doing a lot of the underlying things correctly and having the proper balance and and development in the company across all of the major functional categories. And what we find is that most companies are strongest in the areas of the company that reflect the background of the owner or the CEO. So if the if they come from a an operations background, uh, the company will be strongest in the areas that are closest to operations. They'll be, uh, but they'll be weakest in the areas that are kind of the natural opposites. So if they're strong in operations, they may be weak in marketing or people, the people categories. But when we ask them where they're allocating their resources, they're allocating them in the areas where they're already strongest. It's not getting them one iota of incremental growth capacity or creation of value. Um, What we try to do is say, look, you've got to strengthen the weaker areas. Those are your constraints. Those are your value constraints. Those are your growth constraints. If you rebalance the company and put some resources into those weakest areas, then you, have a, then you have a much more balanced company and the result will be top line growth, cost efficiencies, because you have all the right resources in the right places and ultimately the creation of value. So we always tell business owners that you know, value can be created just like a tangible product can be created. You have to have the right ingredients, the right processes, the right people, the right systems, the right focus, continuous improvement uh, processes and so forth. And if you execute on all of that and stay focused and disciplined, you will create value as the byproduct of doing all of the right things. If you simply try to chase revenue, which a lot of companies do, or try to cost cut your way to profitability or, or out of the pandemic, 
you most likely will be eroding the long-term value of the company. And that's that's absolutely the wrong approach. Unfortunately, I'd say probably 80 or 90% of the companies, private companies at least, that's the approach they take. If you look at public companies, they take much more of the approach that I'm describing. And that's why they're so much more valuable and grow so much faster than private companies. I love that. Yeah, we focus on our strengths and we think, okay, if we get really strong in that, then we're going to, but you hit a plateau. It's like, that's that's as far as you're going to go on this. That's so right. lo- looking in those areas in your organization where there's room for growth or where you're weak, add some resources on that, takes it to the next level. Next thing you know, uh, you're making the impact bigger and stronger than you probably ever could imagine. So exactly. can I... Ken, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, your organization, and all this awesome work you're doing? Our company is called Corporate Value Metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S. Our website is corporatevalue.net, and um, or they could email me directly, but there are buttons on our icons on our website to uh, request more information, or they can email me directly. Uh, My email is the letter K, then my last name, S-A-N-G-I-N-A-R-I-O at corporatevalue.net. And I'll have that information in the show notes. So, Ken, thank you again. I've loved this conversation and love the work you do. So, be well. Thank you again. Thanks a lot, Michael, for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to The The Breakfast Breakfast Leadership Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.